All right, everybody. How are you this morning? Yeah, okay, all right. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Pretty good. If you're sitting and you're able to, would you stand back up on your feet as we prepare to open the scriptures? We're going to declare our faith in the words of the ancient Nicene Creed. Let's say it together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son. He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you agree with that, say it real loud. They should have at the end of the creed put a woo instead of amen, right? I just like that would have been good. Kathleen, good to see you this morning. This is Jeff Clayton's wife. Kathleen is with us praying over them. Would you, you can take your seat. It's good to see you this morning. <laughs> yes, thank you. I was thinking actually as I was getting up to speak, this is what the life of the spirit is is that we gather and we worship and we pray for the sick and we rally our resources together and we open the scriptures and we come to the table. This is all the life of the Spirit. And it is so good to see you. Happy Pentecost Sunday to you. As Pastor Andrew Cantrell was saying, today is Pentecost Sunday. It is that day in the church calendar when the church remembers the great gift of the Holy Spirit poured out on those believers, 120 of them gathered in the upper room in the book of Acts, and you ask the question, what does Pentecost mean? It comes from a Greek word, Pentecoste, that means 50th. So Pentecost was one of the crucial Jewish festivals in the cycle of festivals. And Pentecost, what it does is it actually bookends the harvest festivals of the Jewish religion. So the first one begins, it's really day one, it's the festival of first fruits. So the first yield of the ground is offered up as a sacrifice of praise unto the Lord. It's a first fruits. It's a first taste of a greater harvest to come. Then you count off seven weeks plus one day. That's how many days? Yeah, I know math. It's tough. It's Sunday. Leave us alone, preacher. Seven weeks plus one day gets us to 50. That's right. And that's Pentecost. Pentecost is the celebration of the full ingathering of the harvest. So it's a great time of joy and celebration and thanksgiving unto God for all that he's done once again in renewing life, making life possible, right? So it's very significant then that the Holy Spirit is poured out on this day, the day of Pentecost. It's a signal of this full inbreaking of the kingdom, this full inbreaking of the life of God that God promised to bring about at the end of all things, which we're going to read about in just a moment here. We're concluding this morning our series on the Lord's Prayer. If you've been with us the last six or seven weeks, uh, you know that we've been journeying through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, sins, debts, transgressions. It's a whole bunch of bad stuff as we forgive those who do a lot of bad stuff against us, right? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Stop right there. Now that is as much as Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. But there's a traditional conclusion, a kind of doxology 
that we've built at the end of the Lord's Prayer that it looks like the earliest Christians started doing not long after the resurrection of Jesus. And it goes something like this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what we're doing at the end of this prayer cycle is we're throwing everything back at God. And we're saying yours is the kingdom, O God, not ours. And yours is the power, O God, not ours. And yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen is a way of saying so be it. We're entering into agreement with this prayer. And we're also looking to God in the prayer for that moment when the kingdom and the power and the glory will be realized among us. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take that traditional doxology, that conclusion to the Lord's Prayer, and I want to take the story of Pentecost and put them together and show how that conclusion to the Lord's Prayer is answered in the day of Pentecost. But now can we just pause for a moment and lift up our hearts to the Lord and call upon His presence here as we preach the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who announce peace, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And that's what we do this morning. We are those, not just the preacher, but the hearers this morning are those whose feet have been fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Our feet are beautiful on the mountains. We are those who bring good news. We proclaim peace. And so we are looking to you this morning, O God. We're saying, come, have your way in our midst. Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would breathe once again through the remembrance of this story, through these scriptures, through stories that I share and the points that I make, we're asking that you would breathe. We're asking that you would bring fire. We're asking that you would bring wind. We're asking that you would come with life. Pour your spirit out again, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Father. Renew the weary ground. Wake us up again to the life of the kingdom. Remind us who we belong to and where we are headed. Situate us once again in our vocation and our calling and in our purpose as your people. Grant that we're asking. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Acts chapter 2. And verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, that 50th day, they were all together in one place like we are here, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Everybody say each of them. So individually, the gift of the Spirit comes but then Luke here, who writes, the, gospel, uh, writes uh, the story of Acts here, he pivots and he says it's not just each of them, but then all of them. So everybody say each, and now everybody say all. Each and all. That's how the Spirit fills. He spill, fills us individually, and then the Spirit also fills us corporately. Each and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in the other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia. It's very cold there. Landed that joke. Good job, Arndt. The first service, they were like, what is it? We're going to go check that out, preacher. (laughs) And Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. It's everywhere. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does all this mean? Some of them gathered there, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain to you carefully. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. It's five o'clock somewhere, but not here. It's nine in the morning. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, 
I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and the old will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they're going to prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Here are the 120 gathered in the upper room, just, just like Jesus told them to do. Just like Jesus told them to do. And as they're gathered there in that place, this dramatic occurrence takes place. The spirit of the living God is poured out on them in fulfillment, not just of the prophecy of Joel, but really of so many of the prophecies of the Old Testament. That the Lord said that at the end of all things, that that same life-giving spirit that brooded over the waters of chaos, that same life-giving spirit out of which every living thing comes, the same life-giving spirit by which all things live would be poured out in a new and intense way, marking the beginning of the journey to the end of all things and beginning that process of renewing the face of the ground. And so there they are, 120 of them gathered in the upper room. And the Spirit falls on them and they begin to prophesy and speak in other tongues and they spill out into the streets. And the crowd that's gathered there, that's the Jewish dispersion, Jews that were living all over the Roman Empire who had gathered for Pentecost, they ask the question, what does this mean? And Peter gives them the interpretation of it. He says, this is exactly what Joel said was going to happen. This isn't drunkenness, but something has happened in the lives of these people. They have interfaced now with the Spirit of God in a way that's unique. And Peter goes on to say that this gift isn't just for them, but this gift is for everybody who's hungry. This gift is for everybody who's thirsty. This gift is for everybody who wants to take and drink of the water of life. Peter throws the gates of the kingdom of God the gates of the experience of the Spirit open to all of those people who are gathered there that day. And this whole thing that takes place in Acts chapter 2 is really the fulfillment of what Jesus was talking about in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. On one occasion, the Scripture says, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. He says, don't you leave Jerusalem, but what are you going to do? Just wait for the gift that my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with what? Water, but in a few days you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. So think about the juxtaposition here that Jesus is setting up. That in the same way that John gave you an immersive experience in water that cleansed you and renewed you and gave you a fresh start, so you're going to have an immersive experience in the spirit of the living God. Your little life, lowercase l, will actually come into direct contact with life, uppercase capital L. And in that moment, everything will change for you. They gathered around him at that time and they said, Lord, now are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like they don't even get it. Jesus here is talking to them about the Holy Spirit. They go, well, that's nice. Okay, we'll wait around and we'll experience this thing. But now, Jesus, does it begin now? Like now are you going to commence the great death march, you know, to Rome and throw Caesar off of his little, you know, out of his little palace and off of his throne and restore the kingdom to Israel? Come on. There's got to be a big political crusade that's going to take place here at some point. And Jesus will not let them get off topic, will he? No, 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 no. We're not going to talk about this now moment of like restoring the kingdom. He says, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. So listen, they want to talk about how Rome is going to be overthrown and the kingdom restored to Israel. And Jesus directs their attention away from that and says, it's not for you to know those times or dates. Like, I'm not going to tell you when it's going to take place. I'm not going to tell you when the kingdom is coming. I'm not going to tell you when the power is coming. I'm not going to tell you when the glory is coming. But I'm going to show you how the kingdom and how the power 
and how the glory come. And they don't come through power or might of human beings. How do they come? They come through an immersive experience of the Spirit of God. The Spirit will fall upon you, Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That as you go out in the power of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, exploding with the Spirit of life, that that is the very thing that's going to draw all people into the kingdom of God. Peter says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, to the crowd gathered there, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for who? You and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone that the Lord our God will call. Brothers and sisters, we ask the question in the Lord's Prayer, how is the divine name hallowed? How does the kingdom come? How is the will of God done? How do the kingdom, how do the power, how do the glory, how is all of that actualized on planet earth? And Pentecost is the answer to that question. That happens one way and one way alone through the pouring out of the life-giving Spirit of God. It was a tepid amen. I'm going to need better from you. Second service. Come on, that's how, this, that's how the kingdom comes to the earth. It comes through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It's the thing that we say in the creed, the third stanza of the creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. It says life explodes upon the world in the person of the Holy Spirit that the face of the ground is renewed, that the church is empowered and sent out into the world. But you ask the question, what is it like to experience the Spirit of God? What does it feel like to drink deep of the well of the Spirit? What actually happens to you? We see this thing that takes place in Acts chapter 2 and they seem to be drunk with wine and they go out babbling in tongues and this mirror. But what is it like? Like experientially, what is it like to experience of the Holy Spirit? And I've been in the church my whole life. I've experienced the Spirit in so many ways. One of the profoundest experiences of the Spirit that I ever had came between my eighth grade year and my ninth grade year that, that summer. And I don't know about you, but for me, uh, eighth grade was the most disastrous year of my young life. It was just a moral calamity, a personal calamity. It was a spiritual calamity on every front. I was just a mess. And I think that just might be what junior high is. It's just those couple years that are sent directly from hell to try to undermine your soul or something. But that was my eighth grade year was just so awful. It was me wandering around in the far country. It was me abandoning my principles and who I was and making decisions that I shouldn't have made and doing things that I shouldn't have done and trying to become somebody that I wasn't, but I wanted to be. And when I became that person, I felt awful about it, you know, and it was just the whole year was such a train wreck. And I remember getting towards the end of that year, there was some stuff that I was involved in that I shouldn't have been involved in. And I got caught. And my parents sat me down and held my feet to the fire about that, really confronted me with all the things that I was doing that I shouldn't have been doing. And in a stroke of I, what I think was parental genius, my parents didn't punish me. And parents take note of this. They didn't punish me for that. There was no like, well, we're grounding you for the next 10 years. You know, we're taking away this. They didn't do that. You know what my parents said to me? I remember, I never forget this. My dad looking across the dinner table at me and saying, so is this who you want to be? Like there is a way that seems right to a man and in the end it leads to, so is that what you want to be? Do you want to be the kind of person that's about these things or do you want to be about something else? Because we think that we've taught you what it means to live a different way and a better way. But if this is who you want to be, it's up to you. The choice is yours. And there was something about that. You know, the writer of Proverbs says that the soft tongue breaks the bone. And there was something about that that just broke the bone for me. It really shattered me. And I I remember just entering into a long period after that of repentance. You know, all I could think to repent of, I repented of. And I remember falling down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, I'm so sorry 
I'm sorry for wandering off in the far country. I'm sorry for making a mockery of you and making a mockery of myself. Would you please forgive me and cleanse me and renew me? And I believed intellectually that I was forgiven, that I was cleansed. And I knew the scripture. Jesus, one of John's best, or one of Jesus' best friends, John, says that if we confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I believe that. But I don't know if you've ever been through a season that was disastrous in that way. But sometimes you do all the repenting you can think to do. And there's still like this residue on you. A residue of ache, a residue of hurt, a residue of embarrassment. For me, it was also a residue of self-loathing. I was so distraught at myself for the decisions that I had made. And so that summer, that lingered with me for a couple months. And I remember that summer, between my eighth grade year and my ninth grade year, I decided that I was just going to lock it in and become more serious about God than I had been up to that point. And I'd never really fasted in my life before. But I decided one week of that summer that I was just going to take some time and fast and pray. So I gave up some things, entered into that time of fasting. And around day four or five, I was hungry. <laughs> And I also was beginning to be really hungry for God in a way that I'd not experienced before. And I remember one afternoon that week, I just felt this like something beginning to well up on the inside of me. And I knew that I needed to just go find some time alone with the Lord. And so I went up into my bedroom and I shut the door and I did the only thing I knew how to do. I got down on my knees next to my bed and I began to pray in tongues. I began to pray in the spirit. And I've told you, I grew up Pentecostal charismatic, which means that I was praying in tongues before I could pray in English. (laughs) <laughs> and I locked in to tongues. And there are times, just as a tongue talker talking to you here, there are times when you're praying in the Spirit that you're just kind of doing it. It's almost like a spiritual discipline. You know, you're just kind of working through the paces. And there are other times that the Spirit of God comes to you and He takes that language that's coming up from the center of your being and He begins to give it utterance in a profound way. And I found that as I was speaking in tongues, it felt like the Holy Spirit was yanking things out of me, yanking things out of me. And all of that residue of hurt and ache and embarrassment and self-loathing, I began to weep over all of that. And I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, but the weeping and the crying and the, like there are times that you like grieve on the surface of who you are. And then there are other times that you grieve from the very roots of your being. And I did that that day as I was praying in the spirit in my room, door closed. I am crying tears from places that I did not know even existed in my spirit. And I don't know how long it was. It might have been three minutes. It could have been 30 minutes. It could have been three hours. Time went completely out of mind. But I cried and I prayed and I cried and I wept and I prayed some more. And at the end of all of it, you ask the question, like, what was that experience? I felt cleansed in a way that me just kind of going, I'm sorry, Jesus, please forgive me, couldn't have done to me. It washed the innermost out, made me a new creature. And that line, like that moment for me was a line of demarcation. The apostle Paul says that if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old things. And now everything, do you know who does that? The spirit does that. It's not just a thing that happens sort of intellectually, but it's a thing that happens experientially. That the spirit who is responsible for the first creation is also responsible for the new creation. And when we come into an experience of the spirit of God, what happens is the new creation begins to wash into our lives. All of the old things begin to pass away. The old hurt, the old guilt, the old structures of being, the old habits of thinking about reality and how we engage. All of it starts to burn away in the Spirit of God. And we begin to experience the refreshing that can only come from the one that the creed declares is the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds where? From the Father and the Son and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. The Spirit is no second class member of the Trinity. But the Spirit proceeds from the heart of the triune God himself. So that when we interface with the Spirit of the living God, when our spirit comes in contact with the Spirit of God, we're touching the core 
of life itself. And what else do we long for but that? Think about it for a moment. Hasn't every quest of your life at the end of the day been a quest for life itself, capital L? Do you know what you were hungering for in every hunger of your life? Do you know what you have thirsted for in every thirst of your life? Do you know what you were searching for in every sojourn of your life? The spirit of the living God. That's what we want. That's what we ache for. That's what we long for. St. Augustine, back in the fourth century, we think of St. Augustine as the great mind of the church, structures of theology, the non-experiential guy, Augustine, knew the experience of the Holy Spirit. And he was preaching to a group of Christians who were about to be baptized on Easter Sunday, 1,600 years ago. And he said that the Holy Spirit has come to abide in you. Don't make him withdraw. Don't exclude him from your heart in any way. He is, Augustine says, a good guest. Haven't you experienced that of the Spirit? Somebody once said to me that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. <laughs> he comes where he's invited and knows how to behave. He's a good guest. He found you empty, Augustine says, and he filled you. He found you hungry and he satisfied you. He found you thirsty and he has intoxicated you. So may he truly intoxicate you, Augustine says. The apostle, he's talking about Paul here. The apostle said, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. And then as if to clarify what we should be intoxicated with, he adds, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Augustine asks, doesn't a person who rejoices in the Lord and sings to him exuberantly seem to be drunk? <laughs> Augustine knew the experience of the spirit. And he added, as if to clarify here, Augustine says, I like this kind of intoxication. <laughs> this is what we've been called to. Don't get drunk with wine, Paul says, which leads to foolishness and debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. Drink deeply of the Spirit. Drink until you are satisfied and find that at the end of your satisfaction, you actually hunger and thirst for God more than you ever did before. And when you come to that experience, you know what you should do? Keep on drinking. Drink until you're full. Drink until you're satisfied. Drink until life begins to explode out of you. May he truly intoxicate you, Augustine says. And I like this kind of intoxication. Don't you understand? This was the thing that marked the early church. This was the thing that caused the church in the first few centuries to make a difference in the world. Paganism was tired and weary and dead. It envisioned modalities of just kind of, its spirituality was built on one of two things. Either what you did with the Stoics is you just kind of resigned yourself to what will be, or you aligned your spirituality with the Gnostics who said, one day we'll get out of this place altogether. And do you know what the first Christians did? They preached a gospel where the life-giving spirit of God was interrupting everything that was dead and decaying and passing away and bursting upon the scene with new life. And their own lives were evidence of it. That they once were dead and they had been made alive. That they once were guilty and they had been pardoned. That they once were beleaguered with sin and God had liberated the captives. God had created in the church. He created a community of equality, Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free. All of the hierarchies were done away with and everybody was treated as an image bearer. It was because of the spirit of God and the world looked at what the church was doing. And they said, what is it that's going on inside there? And they said, well, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. The spirit is being poured out upon all flesh Life is at loose in the world. Pentecost, brothers and sisters, is our annual reminder. And it's a signal, a symbol of the fact that now there is an explosion of the life of God. I'm waiting for a slide up here. 
There it is. Pentecost signals an explosion of life, God's life upon a weary world. And it also forces the question upon us as God's people. What are we going to be about? What are we going to be about? And we can be about so many things. And one of the things that grieves me in our modern time is that I think that we have exchanged so much of our Pentecost identity for things that are inferior substitutes for the life-giving spirit of God. I can think of four things. Maybe you can add your own. I'll give you four things that I think that we have substituted for an experience of the life-giving spirit of God that floods out into the world. Number one, I think that we are marked by secularity. I think that we have given our Pentecost identity away to secularity. You say, Andrew, what is secularity? How do you define that? I don't think it's about old earth versus young earth or teaching evolution in schools or should we watch rated R movies? Or I don't, that's not what I mean by that. You know what I mean by this? I mean a view of the church that is essentially materialistic and it's materialistic to the core. A view of the church that says, well, you know, how do you get a church to grow? Well, what you need is like 17 minutes of really good worship. And then you need like really, you need like a really cool offering and announcement guy. Colin, we love you. We're part of the formula, you know. <laughs> Just but you need that, you got to have a, like a cool transition moment. And then you know what you need. You need like a, a preacher who wears good skinny jeans. I hear, by the way, skinny jeans are going out. That's a terrible thing. But what are you, you going to do? It was real raw at last to get baggier. But you need that. You got fashionable preachers and sneakers, you know, and he's got to preach good, relevant, everyday messages for your everyday life. That's what you need. And that's how it, what we've done is we've reduced church to a formula. A plus B plus C equals D. Plug all the pieces in. Somehow in the middle of all of that, we neglected God. <laughs> I don't see any of the formula here. You know, I see in the scriptures, I see Jesus saying, why don't you get together and wait on God until God pours himself out on you. I think we've given away our Pentecost identity to secularism. I think we've also given our Pentecost identity away to moralism. I think that instead of the dynamism of the life-giving spirit of God, what we have done is we've said, well, if we could just be the moral police for the world, that's the way that the world's really going to be swept up into the kingdom. That's the way that the Lord's prayer really will be answered. And I'm not putting anybody, any one group on the stand here because I think that conservatives do this as much as progressives. I think that conservatives do this by policing the household and how all, that, how all that should work and our sexual lives and all of that. And by the way, we should speak into those things, but that's not the sum total of our calling. And I think that progressives do this by talking about what we should do with our power and our money. And we should be speaking to those things, but that is not the sum total of our calling. But what we've done is we've thought that it's the strength of our moral vision that will win the day in the world. And that's not what Acts chapter 2 tells us. So it's secularity and it's moralism. And I think that we've also given away our calling to intellectualism. And I love the intellectual life. And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The intellectual life is important. But one of the things that we have done in our modern time is we've substituted the dynamic life of the spirit for the strength of our ideas. And what we've thought is if we just get better theology or if we just get clearer apologetics or if I just come down, if I just figure out that like lockdown, airtight argument to show that the Jehovah's Witnesses really aren't Christians, that'll bring in the kingdom. I just don't see it here. Give me chapter and verse that shows us where the strength of our ideas will win the day. Secularity, moralism, intellectualism, the fourth th thing that we do, I think, that's a giving away of our calling, is politics. And to this extent... We are not a little bit like, we are just like the disciples in Acts chapter 1. Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus goes, of course, you voted the right guy into the office. Locked it down. We got this. No. What does Jesus do? No, 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 no. It ain't happening that way. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Witnesses to the goodness and the life and the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And by the way, do you know what happened? The Spirit was poured out and for 2,000 years, the world has been being turned upside down. This is it. This is our identity. Jesus says, whoever is thirsty, whoever is thirsty, are you thirsty for God? Whoever is thirsty, let that person come to me and let them drink. And whoever believes in me, Jesus says, what happens? Rivers of living water will gush up from within that person. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Jesus says, come to me if you're thirsty and drink. And what happens as you drink? You actually become part of the way in which the life-giving spirit of God is exploding upon the world. Think about the psalmist in Psalm chapter 46. The psalmist says that there is a river whose streams, what? Make glad the city of God. Brothers and sisters, the spirit is the river, but we are the streams. <laughs> and what happens when we come into an experience of the life-giving spirit of God is that we're actually taken into the spirit of God and we are made the means by which the life of God goes out into the world. We have one vocation. We have one calling. And it's the calling to open ourselves up to the spirit of God and let him flow like a river through us to a thirsty world. What are we going to be about here as a congregation? This and this alone. And so here's what Peter says to a group of Christians gathered not long after Pentecost. How do we experience the Holy Spirit? What does it look like for us to step into an experience of Pentecost? Here it is, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Repent and turn to the Lord and what happens? Times of refreshing come. That's what I'm after. Would you stand this morning? It's just that simple. Repent and turn. Repent and turn. We cannot make the Spirit of God come. God is free. The Spirit blows, the wind blows wherever it wishes. We cannot make God come, but we can position ourselves for the coming of God. That's what repentance is. And so now, brothers and sisters, would you just, with a heart of repentance, turning to the Lord, would you make this your prayer with me this morning? Let's say it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will, O God, and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. So Spirit, come down upon us, we pray. We are here. We are watching we are waiting, we are hungry, we are thirsty, and we lift all of that up before you. And we say that only you can fill, and only you can satisfy, and only you can move upon us that transforms us. So come upon us, we pray. Fill us again, Spirit of the living God, we ask. Do it this morning. Friends, we're going to come to the table in a moment here. Let's respond with this song of worship, and then Pastor Colin is going to lead us.
blessing breathe on us. Jesus, when he gave the Holy Spirit, you know how it is that he gave it. He, He breathed upon the disciples when he gave them the Holy Spirit. When we look in the book of Genesis, we see another time that God breathed. When he breathed life into Adam, he breathed life into man. And then when we read the account of Jesus on the cross, we read that Jesus breathed his last. That's our English translation of it, but in the Greek translation, it says that instead of breathing his last, it's translated that he gave the spirit. So what happened on the cross is that he, he gave us the Holy Spirit. We can't celebrate Pentecost Sunday without coming to the table, without taking communion. We can't come to the communion without realizing that it's Pentecost Sunday. They go, they go so hand in hand. So Jesus' death on the cross is what gave you the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you hold the bread? You break it together, church. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that was pierced for our transgressions. Would you take and eat the bread together? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes proclaim the mystery of our faith together that Christ has died Christ is risen Christ will come again friends this is the gift of God for you would you take and drink would you just begin to open up your spirit to the Lord this morning Holy Spirit it has been a gift to remember when you, when you came to us this morning. And God, through worship and through learning and through opening ourselves to you, Lord, I pray that you would come and you would fall afresh on us, Lord, this week. As you're bringing people into our lives, Lord, as you're working in us, as you are allowing even hardship into our lives, Lord, may we see you at work through all of these things. Holy Spirit, we, we release ourselves to you. God, we're, we're asking you to, to move in our lives in places that we can see, in ways that we can feel. God, we give ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit. Church, would you continue to raise your voices this morning? Let's worship. That's so good. Can we just say that a couple times? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just say that with your voice. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.
changes everything. And oh, praise God. I like this kind of intoxication. We receive again the dove settling upon us, the sign of the new creation. <laughs> Everything is changing. God, would you make us carriers of the new creation? Would you make us carriers of the Spirit out into the world? You are the river, Spirit of the living God. We are the streams. So fill us, fill dry riverbeds, dry stream beds with fresh life and fresh water, water the thirsty ground. We pray that everywhere that we go, that you cause it all to burst into bloom. <laughs> Liberate the captives, open blind eyes, unstop deaf ears, cause the mute tongue to sing for joy. Bring the wayward home through our lives. We pray that you'd make us joyful witnesses of the life-giving Spirit of God. And so now, brothers and sisters, open your hands and receive this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Thank you. Uh, don't tear down your chairs. Grand Peak Academy has something happening this week, so leave them up. Hooray, Grand Peak. If you need prayer for anything, altar ministry team will be down here. If you're new, uh, grab a little gift at Connect Center on the way out. And I smell Qdoba. I'm so dang hungry. So if you don't have anything to do, join us. Kristen Massey is sharing about her time in Kenya and there's food for you. So join us for that. God bless. We'll see you next week.